Say you're Steve Kerr, the head coach for the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, and you find yourself playing in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, playing against the Cavs. There's three seconds left, fourth quarter, you're down by two, and you have the last possession of the ball. Who do you go to? You go to Draymond Green? Is he the first person that comes to mind? Or do you go to Steve Curry? This is the picture that we are given this morning in our passage as we come to a section in the book of Philippians that I've titled this morning, Are You a Commendable Christian? And this morning we continue our series in Philippians. In our passage today, we find two commendable examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are worthy of being imitated and honored for the glory of God. And my desire is that this morning, that you and I would grow in our faith, that you and I would grow in our desire to be commendable Christians like Timothy and Epaphroditus, also that we would bring glory and honor to God. So if you're taking notes this morning, our main idea is this. It comes in the form of a question. How do I become a commendable Christian? How do I become a commendable Christian? And to answer this question, we're going to be looking at the qualities of these two commendable Christians And then we will close with Paul's primary command, which requires a response from us in our lives. And so our outline for this morning is, follow Timothy's example, verses 19 through 24. Follow Epaphroditus' example, verses 25 through 28 and 30. And honor godly examples. And we find that in verse 29. This is what we find in our text So if you haven't turned there yet, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And that's found on page 981 in the Black Pew Bible, if you're using that. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. 
to me. Now, if you're joining us for the first time or if you've missed previous sermons in the series, we've seen that this letter was written by Paul the Apostle to the Philippians while he was believed imprisoned in Rome. And he wrote this letter for a few reasons. One of the reasons that he wrote this letter was to express his gratitude for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. They had partnered with him by contributing to him or supporting him financially. And another way that they had partnered with him was by sending one of their very own, Epaphroditus, to go and serve Timothy while he was on house arrest. Another reason that Paul wrote this letter was to give the Philippians an update about his circumstances while in Rome. He himself was experiencing suffering um, while he was imprisoned, but he continued to rejoice in the Lord because, as he explained to the Philippians, his suffering was serving to advance the gospel. And so he wanted the Philippians to know that he was joyful. Then we find that he, Paul turns his attention to the Philippians and their current situation in Philippi because they too were experiencing some tension from outsiders and insiders. Um, there was some disunity going on. And so we come to a section in chapters 1, verse 27 through 2.18, where Paul writes to them about the manner of life in which a Christian is supposed to live in this fallen and broken world so that Christians would shine as light in darkness. And so Paul gives them this rich theology of humility and how we are supposed to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And he points us to Christ, the supreme example of what it means or what it looks like to walk in humility. And so chapter 2 can be summarized as, Christ died by serving you, therefore you die in service to him. And this brings us to our passage for today, which answers the question, how do I become a commendable Christian? Now, everything before this passage has been filled with rich theology of the Christian's joy and suffering, for example, and also the power of the gospel that transforms the lives of those who repent and believe. And let's not forget the passage there in chapter 2 about Christ's humility and how he gave himself up so that he would save his people. And as we continue reading, we come to our section, a section that might seem like it's a little out of place or it's known as a travel log. So one may be tempted to think, what does this have to do with walking in unity and in humility and in following Christ. This is just an example of two men that um, Paul mentions. But as we look at the passage closely, we find that these are two examples who lived lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Specifically, two men who did nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than themselves. And so we'll take a look at how we can follow in their footsteps so that we too can become commendable Christians just as they are. So the first thing that we see in the text is follow Timothy's example. Follow Timothy's example. One of the first things that Paul 
does is he tells the Philippians that he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy soon. You see that there in verse 19. And the reason for this is that Paul was on house arrest in Rome awaiting trial to offer a defense of the gospel. And it was this very gospel that had landed him in prison in the first place. He couldn't get out to go and visit the Philippians himself, so he was going to do the next best thing, which was send one of his best. As a matter of fact, it was one of the only best uh, that he had to send. But until he figured out what was going to happen to him, he would be sending Timothy to bring back good news of the Philippians so that he too would be encouraged. So Paul begins by commending to him Timothy by listing two main qualities, qualities that we should all strive for if we are Christians. And we can categorize these categories as, or this first category of Timothy as Timothy being a selfless man. And we find this in at least two different ways. The first way that we see this is that Timothy was one who showed genuine concern for others. And we see that in verse 20. Verse 20 reads, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The first of Timothy's qualities is that he displayed a genuine concern for others. Paul says there in verse 20 that he has no one like him, meaning that he had no one else who was like-minded. And so far in the letter, we've seen the way that Paul cared for the Philippians. In his opening uh, prayer of gratitude, we read how Paul expressed how he held the Philippians dearly in his heart and how he yearned for them with the affections of Christ. Paul desired for them to grow in their understanding of the gospel so that they would grow in their praise of God. And towards the end of, of chapter 1, he says that his desire was to depart and be with Christ but he'd rather stay to give them reason to rejoice at his coming, but also to continue helping them grow in the faith. The same concern and love that Paul had for them is the same kind of concern and love that Timothy had for them. And though we're not told exactly how Timothy would seek their welfare, we can imagine Timothy caring for the Philippians in the same way that Paul cared for the Philippians. We can imagine T Timothy possibly picking up where Paul left off or following up on these teachings that Paul had been giving the Philippians, continuing their spiritual nourishment to help them grow in the faith so that they would produce this fruit of righteousness that glorifies God. Timothy would serve without selfish ambitions or conceit without wanting to gain something for himself, and instead would see to it that they would receive God's word preached faithfully to build them up. So just as we saw how Timothy's genuine concern make him stand out, we now see the reason he was genuinely concerned. And the reason was because Timothy had Christ's interest in mind. And we see that in verse 21. In 21 we read, here, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
The reason that Timothy genuinely cared for others is because his interests were those of Christ. Timothy's concern and love for the Philippians stemmed from goodwill and love in contrast to those who were in Rome who preached Christ out of selfish ambition and insincerity. And it's interesting that Paul links genuine concern with the Philippians' welfare to the interests of Christ. And we find a connection here. And the connection is that Paul sees that seeking the interests of Christ is related to genuinely caring for those in the church. Now I wonder if this is the way that you think about those that you have covenanted with here at First Baptist. Do you make it your goal to genuinely care for those whom Christ has died for and has united you to here at this church? Or do you genuinely care about yourself by seeking what others can do for you? Or maybe you do show genuine care and concern about those in the church. But what about those outside the church who are yet to be saved? In your family, in your workplace, in your circle of friends. Consider some of the ways that you can genuinely care for others in the church. For example, you can show up to church early before the service starts, and stick around after it ends to talk to folks, especially to those whom you may not already know or may not already have conversations with, so that you could get to know them and care for them. Another thing that you could do is you could take the church directory and after having talked with different people in the church, throughout the week pray for them based on the concerns that you found about them and come before the Lord and intercede for others, for their good, for the glory of God. Or another way that you can be genuinely caring for others is to reach out to others and schedule a time to meet up and care for each other's spiritual health. And this may look like meeting up for accountability or reading a book together or maybe just meeting up to share a life together and to be encouraged. And in so doing, you will be seeking the interests of Christ in building one another up. And this is what brings Christ glory. So these are just a few ways to show genuine concern for others in the church. So this leads us to Timothy's second commendable quality, which is he was a man of proven character. And we see that in verse 22. In verse 22, Paul writes, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul reminded the Philippians about Timothy's proven worth, which can also be read as proven character. The reason that Paul commends Timothy was not because Timothy was a stranger who needed an introduction. We see that the Philippians already knew Timothy because Timothy was present with Paul when Paul visited Philippi. But instead, the reason that Paul commends Timothy is because he wanted the Philippians to understand the kind of man that Timothy was. Paul helped them to see this by describing the relationship that Paul had with Timothy, as you can see there in verse 22. It was 
similar to a father-son relationship. And according to God's word, a father-son relationship was one that is based on honor. According to the fifth commandment, honor, honor your father and your mother. This relationship was one where Timothy honored Paul by receiving his teachings, obeying his instructions, emulating Paul's lifestyle. And what bound all of this together was that Timothy served with Paul in the gospel, as you see there in verse 22. As that Timothy showed his proven worth at like how a son serves with his father and how he served with Paul in the gospel. So Timothy was the go-to man that Paul had, and he was commendable. He was commendable because of his character. His character had been tested and had been proven to be one who was a man who was devoted to Christ and who was devoted to Christ's gospel. This is why Paul opened his letter by identifying himself with Timothy as Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. You see that there in verse chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Timothy had proven his character as someone who lived for Christ. He was a commendable friend who genuinely cared for Paul and for Christ's concerns, which were the same concerns that Paul had. So Paul was holding off on sending Timothy, Timothy until he knew what was going to happen to him uh, while he was waiting in prison. And as a side note, we also see that Paul, once again, is showing selfless service by being willing to part with one of his best men. I remember when I used to play basketball many years ago, and I used to play with some of my friends that were really good, and then whoever we were playing against had to leave, and all of a sudden we had to share folks on our team. And the last person that I wanted to give was one of my good friends who I knew was good. We tend to not want to let go of those whom we love and care for and we benefit from. But Paul here demonstrates also this kind of uh, commendable character with being willing to let go of Timothy, this man whom he loved and cared for. So I pray that we would reflect on our friendships with others in the church, that we would have the kind of friendships with each other in the gospel where we care for one another like Christ cares for us. So we should ask ourselves, are we this kind of friend? And if not, ask yourself, why not? And then once you meditate and turn to Scripture and pray, and maybe even have others help come alongside to help you see why not, turn to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him to help you to be like Timothy, one who cheers others up, one who encourages others in the Lord, in their weaknesses, possibly providing physical or spiritual support as a means to pursue Christ's interests. So the first thing we can do to become a commendable Christian is to follow Timothy's example of showing genuine concern for others and to develop 
character in our service with others for the gospel. The next thing that we find in our text is we are to follow Epaphroditus' example. This is the first of two times that Paul mentions Epaphroditus in the letter here in 2.25 and once again in 4.18. Now Epaphroditus is the one who was assigned by the Philippian church to do two things. To take a financial gift to Paul during his imprisonment in Rome and to serve Paul in whatever he needed because Paul wasn't allowed to leave his cell. And Epaphroditus' name stems from Aphrodite, which was a mythical goddess meaning lovely or charming. And it may be that he was a Gentile convert that worshipped the goddess at one time. So we see in Epaphroditus a man who gave himself fully because he was transformed and redeemed by Christ and his gospel. In verse 26, we find out that Paul is sending him back because he had become ill. Now, it's possible that he got sick on his way to Paul in Rome, or that he got sick once he arrived to Rome. But regardless of how he got sick or when he got sick, we are told that his illness was so bad that he almost died. And we know that this illness was not something small because Paul attributes Epaphroditus' recovery to God's mercy, as you see there in verse 27. Paul says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Imagine how you would feel if you were Epaphroditus, if you had been commissioned by the church to deliver a package to Paul in prison. And also to serve Paul in whatever he needed during his imprisonment. But when you get to Paul, you find out that he's now going to send you back because you're sick. Maybe you'd be tempted to feel like you failed. Or imagine if you were part of the church at Philippi and you gave your vote for him to be the man to go and take these things, this service to Paul. And now he's coming back so soon. Maybe you'd be embarrassed of him thinking, come on, bro, you had two jobs. I knew we should have sent someone else. I knew I should have gone. Paul wanted the church to know why he was sending him back and also how much Paul cared for him. And so let's look at the two qualities that make Epaphroditus a commendable Christian. And these two qualities can be summed up as self-sacrificing. Self-sacrificing. So if Timothy was a selfless man, Epaphroditus was characterized as being self-sacrificing. And we see this in two ways. The first way, way that we see this is in verse 25, where we read, I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier. Here we find that Epaphroditus was a faithful servant. This is the first way that we find this quality of being self-sacrificing. Here we find five descriptions, of which I just read three, that highlight Epaphroditus', uh, Epaphroditus character. 
The first three show his relationship with Paul, and the last two deal with his responsibilities that were entrusted to him. Paul described him as a brother, as a fellow worker, and as a fellow soldier. The three descriptions of the kind of relationship they had, brother, fellowship, and worker, had to do with the kind of deep relationship of affection that Paul and Epaphroditus had, like two who endured hardships together. Or Paul held a position of an apostle and Epaphroditus is believed to be an ordinary member, yet Paul refers to him as his equal or as a fellow worker as they serve together for the gospel. Paul also turns to him and describes him as a soldier, which again states that they were equals as those who fought side by side and had been wounded out on the battlefield. And the next two descriptions show us that Epaphroditus had been called to carry out two tasks, that of a messenger and that of a minister. The task of a messenger was to deliver the church's love offering as a continued means of gospel partnership with Paul. And his task as a minister was assigned like that of a priestly, uh, like that of the priestly service of one who ministered to the Lord with his life um, to serve Paul. So these five things have one thing in common. Epaphroditus was a faithful servant in these callings. In his service to Paul, he gave all of him all of himself to make sure that Paul was cared for. And if you turn to chapter 4, so just turn to the right, maybe just one page, um, in verse 18, this is the second time that Epaphroditus is mentioned by name. And Paul writes in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So in regards to his responsibility that was entrusted to him, he completed his tasks even in the midst of suffering. There was no pity party there. He kept his eyes on the mission and he continued giving himself to what he had been entrusted with. And if we think about it, all he did was deliver a package. And though this may seem like a small task, it played a significant role in advancing the gospel, and he is remembered for it. His name is mentioned here in Philippians, remembered by all the Christians who came after him, who are coming after him, and who will come after him. Paul commends Epaphroditus for being faithful in the task that he was entrusted with. This is encouraging because normally those that are remembered are those that do great things. So we can expect to hear about Paul, right, and Peter. But Epaphroditus, we find him here in scriptures as a faithful man who was faithful to his calling. That's one of the first things that made him commendable. The second thing that we see is that he was willing to lose his life for Christ. He was willing to lose his life for Christ. 
Look there at 26 through 27. Paul writes, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. And in verse 30, he writes, Why? Because he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here we have one of the basic fundamentals for Christian living, which is a willingness to die to self. Jesus clearly taught his his disciples about dying to self by taking up their cross and following him. Willingness to lose one's life is a requirement for being a follower of Jesus. Because every Christian must surrender his sinful desire to live for self and to honor himself. And instead, to live for Jesus and honor Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This includes both in our spiritual lives as we look to the interests of others and we love and care for others. But also, like in this case, a willingness to even lay down our physical life if that were what Christ called us to do. This is the way the kingdom of God works, according to Jesus. Because Jesus says, whoever would lose their lives in this world would save their lives. But whoever would try to save their lives in this world would lose it. Epaphroditus knew this, and this is the way that he lived. Paul writes, and he says that Epaphroditus was so determined to fulfill his calling and advance the gospel that he was willing to give even his life. So we see that he was not a man who was looking to his own interests. What was going to benefit him? No. He was all in for the glory of Jesus. So like Timothy, Epaphroditus is one who followed in the footsteps of Jesus, who humbled himself by being willing to offer his own life for the sake of advancing the interests of King Jesus. Is this the way that you see your calling as a Christian? A calling that comes with a cost. A calling that comes with a cross that's tailored specifically for you. A cross that's worth it. A calling that requires you to not seek your own interests, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. This is a call to put Christ's interests before your own. Now, we're not currently in a situation where we would have to risk our lives to advance the gospel. But we are in a position where advancing the gospel in our context may cost you something. Advancing the gospel this year, this coming year, may require you to sacrifice your time. Your time to work out or your time to work extra to to begin meeting with others for their spiritual good. It might involve losing a certain perception that your co-workers have of you as you begin to engage them in the gospel 
for their good and the glory of Christ. It may come at the cost of giving your giving of your finances rather than funding the hobby that you enjoy so much. The Christian life, as we see in Epaphroditus, is one where we are willingly ready to give ourselves up for the glory of Christ to advance His gospel. So we've seen two examples of selflessness and self-sacrifice in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. But now let's turn to the main application of our text. Here in verse 29, if you want to become a commendable Christian, we follow Timothy's example, we follow Epaphroditus' example, and we honor godly examples. We see that in verse 29, where Paul writes, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Paul's words to the Philippians was just this, Receive this man in the Lord with joy and with honor. Having already explained Epaphroditus' situation and his relationship to Paul, he calls them to receive him with joy because he fulfilled his calling to the point of death. What does this mean for us? We live in a culture that's already used to giving honor in everyday living. Our culture is one that tips generously out of gratitude for good service. Some open doors for others out of respect or out of care. Sometimes we may buy gifts for those that we care about or that we value. We recognize people in public or in private. We obey or submit out of respect. We commit to the success of others. But we also know what it's like to dishonor, like not giving a tip generously, or going to Yelp and leaving negative reviews, grumbling for something that doesn't have to do with the meal, but something that had to do a block away as you're on your way to a restaurant, or complaining about why you or I have to do something where we should be the ones that are served. Honor and dishonor. The Bible commands us to honor And there's different categories that we find the command to honor. For example, we're called to honor our parents. We're called to honor the elderly. We're called to honor authorities. We're called to honor church leaders. And we do this in different ways. One of the ways that we do this is that we value or we respect those that are worthy of honor, those that God has placed over us. We give respect and we do so as Christians in the Lord, meaning that it is our calling as Christians to give respect and to appreciate those whom God puts in our lives. But in this context, we're called to honor, we're called to respect those who give their lives in service to Christ, to advance the gospel. And honor is demonstrated 
in our attitudes. This involves the way that we think, the way that we speak, and the way that we act. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul also writes, Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul says, Appreciate those who labor among you. Recognize them, acknowledge them, and respect them. We can do this by looking around and there's, by God's grace... We see God has started a good work, and it is God who works to give Christians the desire and the ability to live for His glory. So we can look around and recognize those who are laboring for the gospel. And once again, it doesn't have to be something grand and major. It can be something as simple as taking a package for the advancement of the gospel. So we look around for these situations, for these examples, for these Christians, and commend them. We honor them by encouraging them, by telling them, I see what you're doing. Thank you for doing this. This brings honor to Christ. This builds me up in the faith. So you can take a look around and notice that for worship, it takes time to come here earlier in the, in the morning to prepare, to serve, to lead us in worship as we come before God and offer Him praises. We can turn to those who are giving of themselves to advance the gospel and recognize them and thank them and show them our appreciation. For those that labor here, um, such as Pastor Jeremy in giving himself to prepare the word, even in pain, even in difficulties. We can email or say, I'm praying for you. Thank you. These are the ways that your labor is benefiting me and helping me grow in my love for Christ. And we do this all without putting folks on a pedestal because God gets all the honor and glory. But we recognize our brothers and our sisters responds to God's work in their lives and in doing so we bring God honor and glory this is how we shine as lights in the world because we live in a world that's so quick to tear down to dishonor to not do this sort of thing so we shine as lights as we create this kind of culture of honoring those who give themselves for the glory of Christ this also means to obey to listen to those who give themselves to Christ, to listen to what they have to say. We listen and we obey out of respect because of their love for Christ and for their work in the gospel, just as Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we do this as a mark of holiness. Paul had told the Philippians to obey so that they would be holy and unblemished in this fallen and dark world. This is a way that we glorify God. And we esteem in love. Once again, as we mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, that for those that labor in the church, especially elders who give themselves to preaching uh, the word, we show them double honor. We are to honor them and care for them. 
telling them that uh, we are thankful for their lives. And there's different ways that we can do that. And we do this because this proclaims Christ when we do this. One of the things that Paul had in mind as he was writing this, as we've seen in the previous chapters, is that Paul was telling the Philippians to strive for unity, not disunity. And honoring one another is a way that cultivates unity. It's a way that encourages those who serve in the church, those who are giving themselves to advancing the gospel. It creates unity and it points to the supernatural work of Christ in the life of His people. Because did you know that honoring other folks, giving yourself to the service of others is something that's unnatural? Left to our own sinful nature, we will live for our own honor, for our own glory. We will live for the praise of others. But it is Christ who by His Spirit works in us as He saved us and gives us the desire to serve others, to be humble and to testify to the world of God's power in our lives. So we display God's work as we do this. We die to ourselves to advance the gospel and to seek Christ's interests. In all of this, God gets honor because He is the Creator. We are His creation and we are called to honor Him with fear and trembling out of reverence and, and love for Him. Humility is not one of the first things that we think of when we think Christianity when we present the gospel, we don't say, become a Christian and become humble. But humility is a fruit that God produces in our lives that paints a picture of who Christ is and what He has done for us. And it is something that will be rewarded. Jesus said in Matthew twenty three twelve that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever follows in the footsteps of Christ will be exalted on that day. Whoever serves others as Christ served us for the purpose of advancing the gospel and the glory of Christ will be rewarded on that day. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In this world, we turn from wanting to honor ourselves and we honor Christ with our lifestyle. We mourn over the ways that we want to honor ourselves and we repent and we live for Christ. And we will, we will be comforted. We will be joyful on that day because we will be rewarded for our humility. So Timothy and Epaphroditus serve as examples of what it means to follow the supreme example of Jesus Christ in a lifestyle of humility and service. Timothy and Epaphroditus did nothing out of rivalry or deceit. Instead, they counted others as more important than themselves. They loved Jesus and made Him known through their lifestyle. And as a result, 
they give us an example of the kind of fruit of righteousness that we are to bear as we turn to Christ and depend on His Spirit. And we demonstrate the power of the gospel to those who humble themselves. Now, if you're visiting us today and you know yourself not to be a Christian, you may be thinking, well, that's good for you guys. You guys are Christians. But what does this have to do with me? Why is this important for me? Well, the Bible says that this message of humbling yourself before God and as a result serving God and others as acts of love is of most important because it is how God created us to live. Because God created all of us to love Him and to love the people that He created. But our problem is that we have chosen to be proud and to be honored rather than honoring God and and honoring others. We have robbed God of His honor by serving ourselves rather than serving Him. And this is a great offense because it is against the holy God and it comes with a serious consequence, which is separation from Him in hell. But God offers full mercy and forgiveness if you turn away from honoring yourself and honoring Him by believing that His Son Jesus came and lived the life that you were created to live and that He died to pay for the penalty that you are to pay with your life if you repent and believe in Him and trust that God raised them from the dead. And if you have any questions about this, about what it means to honor God and to die to self, feel free to ask myself or Pastor Jeremy or whoever um, you came with, and we'd be more than happy to continue talking to you about this. So in conclusion, Christian, is this true of your life? Are you growing in being selfless like Timothy and self-sacrificing like Epaphroditus? When we look at God's word, it is described as a mirror that shows us how we fall short. And the good news is that it points us to Christ. It helps us see how we fall short and how much we need Christ. And we are given the gospel, the good news, which is Christ himself. And it is with Him that we find forgiveness and power to obey and to walk in the footsteps of not only Timothy and Epaphroditus, but also Paul. And most importantly, the supreme example that we have, which is Jesus Christ Himself for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we praise You for being a God who has given himself to care for us, to care for us in that we had no way of making ourselves right with you, but you in your loving kindness sent your son Jesus Christ to live and to die so that we who would repent and believe would have life. We pray that you would help us to be people who are humble and that put the interests of others before our own. We pray that you would help us to be people who honor those who labor among us to make your name known. We pray that in this, we would bring you great glory and that we would die to ourselves and give ourselves for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.